Hello, all you dreamers out there in Dream a Dreamland. This is the critically acclaimed podcast. The cat, cats knock it off. Uh, oh, you you knock missed it off, cats. You lost the uh, the public radio vibe you had going I was, there. I was going for something cool and sexy, and the cats were just like, <laughs> "No, we're cats." Yeah. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Critically Acclaimed. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic for the Rap. Everybody calls me Bibs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I write for Slash Film. I don't have a nickname. You don't need to call me by my nickname. But that's okay. And uh, yeah, we are here with our uh, more new movie reviews and new-ish movie reviews. Because... We've we got a catch-up week this week. Yeah, we missed the week. I was sick again. Mm-hmm. It's been a rough yeah, know, I, life, I guess, at this point. But you had a bit of a cold and a bit of a l- yeah. little bit of a laryngitis thing going on. Yeah. So it was, the, wasn't good for recording. The cold tore up. Like, I was coughing enough that I tore up my throat a little bit, and then it made it harder for me to podcast. So we recorded an Iron List, but by the time we were done with that Iron List, I was like, no. <laughs> no. Those Iron List episodes tend to go long. Those are epic. Yeah, those are epic things. We do not do those, like, we do not record those, like, a few minutes at a time. We do those in epic runs. Yeah. Um, but in any case, yeah, we're back with Critically Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. We're reviewing a bunch of new movies. Those movies are uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool, uh, Close, the new Oscar-nominated uh, Best International Feature That's right. nominee, uh, Kids vs. Aliens. Low-budget low horror thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Lopez's new rom-com Shotgun Wedding. Ah. She's in it. Did, did you said Jennifer Lopez is as if she's the director? She's one of those uh, actors who I feel like, regardless of whether or not they're directing, it mm. feels more like a them film. Yeah, than well, anyone any particular know, um, filmmaker is putting their stamp on it. That's true of a lot of like movie stars and action yeah. stars. I know that's true of uh, everybody knows it's true of Tom Cruise. Sure, he he is uh, he produces most of the mo- newer movies that he's been in, mm-hmm. and he has a. a Tremendous say as to like story elements and action mm-hmm. scenes and a lot of the things that are going to go into the movie. They, they seem very Tom Cruisey. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, the few more movies we're reviewing: Sorry About the Demon and Jung E. Uh, so those films will be reviewed on this podcast, <laughs> starting post haste. Yes. Yeah, now, uh, the the only movie of all those films that's so annoying when this happens. Mm. The only movie that we both saw this week was Infinity Pool. That's right. However, I would argue that of all the movies we just listed, Infinity Pool is the one that is perhaps most talked about. I suppose so. Uh, we're still at the early part of the year. Uh, last week was quite trim, so maybe it was you know, fortunate that we skipped that one. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're still sort of searching around for interesting movies, for mm. bigger hits. There aren't going to be bigger hits. We, mm. all, we had Megan. Yeah. It was an interesting, fun film, but it's a very January kind of a film. Yeah, we got some February films mm. coming along. We got an M. Night Shyamalan thriller. We got mm. uh, a new Marvel. Yeah, uh, I, I would love for uh, Marvel mm. or Star Wars yeah. to have the moxie to release a film the second weekend in January. Do it. Like, do, do, Hit hit because they've done August already. Sure. August, August has they've been done August and February yeah. multiple times. Yeah, so it's yeah. like those are typically kind of low points in terms of box office. Yeah, but and they've done September. And... They've done September even with uh, Shang Chi. Oh, Shang Chi was in September. Yeah, yeah it was early September. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So yeah, the, the late summer, the fall. They've they've already put some movies in there. Yeah. 
I would love for them to have the temerity to release something like prove that January is profit. Problem yeah. is, is Jan- that the January sixth you can have your new one. The problem is that the big releases in December are big releases because nobody releases anything new in January. Yeah, and of late Disney kind of has that on lock. So if Disney oh, yeah. released Ant Man in January, all it would be doing is taking Avatar money. It would all doing, it would be doing yeah. is taking Avatar money at that point, and they don't want and it to take Avatar money. They want Avatar to take Avatar money. Yeah, Avatar, uh, the new Avatar. Yes. Uh, is is as many predicted breaking yeah. all kinds of box office records. I, I left the theater and yeah. I was like, this movie's going to make two billion dollars. And, and yeah. indeed, it's rounding two billion dollars yep. about here in mid January, about this time. Uh, it's really close to outgrossing Titanic. Yep. To become like the third highest mm-hmm. grossing film of all time. That means one in three of the highest grossing films of all time will be mm-hmm. Avatar films. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and, number, uh, and three and two. four will be James Cameron movies. That's right. Yeah. Oh no, just uh, no. Avatar, Avatar two, and Titanic will be in the top five regardless. Right. Yeah. Well, then the other one is Avengers. Avengers, and then and the uh, other one is uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Oh, okay. So I guess it's the top five. regardless. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. Let's let's take that away from James Cameron. He's not gonna. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Do you only have oh, three in the only top three five? Three in the top five. Not four. Someday in the top you'll five. make it, little Cameron. And, You'll and, do it, and buddy. He, he was saying things like, before release, oh gosh, I hope this makes money. I'll have to be like the fourth highest grossing film of all time just to break even. Well, it's broken even now. Yeah. It's the fourth highest grossing film of all time. Yeah. Well, good for him. Anyway, uh, that is neither here nor there. Let's review but, uh, some movies and let's talk about Brandon the, Cronenberg's Infinity yeah, the, Pool. The film that is destined to unseat Avatar. <laughs> Infinity Pool. It's just going to. Wouldn't that d- be great? <laughs> what oh, what this, would that be a paradigm shift, the, wouldn't it? This, this weirdo, like. Kind of, kind of racy horror movie like uh, takes the place of the big blockbuster. Let's do it. Let's completely shift the the, the what is it? The hierarchy of power has changed. <laughs> Uh, Infinity Pool is a new film from Brandon Cronenberg. Brandon Cronenberg is the son of David Cronenberg, mm. and David Cronenberg is one of the best filmmakers we've ever had. Uh, he directed such films as Videodrome and yeah, Shivers and uh, Dead Ringers and the remake of The Fly, and he's a uh, brilliant filmmaker. I I, I love David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all of his films are bangers. Some of them are, are boring that, and that, kind of strange, but like to the point where you don't know what he's getting at. But he's always uh, he's always getting at something, which something, I appreciate. Yeah. You know, it's, it never feels like. David Cronenberg just phoned one in. It just felt like sometimes he just the experiment didn't work. Yeah, yeah. that's how I feel about uh, Maps to the Stars. I, that's the one I didn't say. I know. Uh, I, I like Cosmopolis, but I know I'm I'm in the minority on that one. I like it too. It's just uh, really fucking weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, um, and, his, and his last film was uh, uh, Crimes of the Future, and I think that one was not not all there. Uh, it also feels a little half developed. Brandon Cronenberg is on record saying, uh, and we're doing it now, that he's always going to be compared to David Cronenberg. Well, as long as he keeps uh, making the kind of movies David Cronenberg would make, that's probably true. His movies tend to be a lot more energetic, but they tend to be just as uh, kind of oblique and really extreme. Well, uh, he did a film called Possessor most mm-hmm, recently, mm-hmm. which was about uh, Andrea Riseborough played like a spy who had a machine that could like sort of broadcast her consciousness into somebody else's body. And a lot of that movie was her 
coming to terms with the fact that she's living in the, the body of this young man. And there's all these like psychedelic mm. sequences of how she's like losing her identity. Okay. Uh, and he also did a film before that. I think it's called Antiviral. Antiviral, which yeah. I didn't see. Uh, I actually have not seen any of those movies. Somehow, oh, okay. Everyone always told me Possessor was great. I kept meaning to get around to it. Never got around to it. I keep still keep hearing it's great. Mm. I will get around to it. And Antiviral sounds neat. Uh, but yeah, you have to start somewhere. And this just happened to be my first Brandon Cronenberg movie. All right. Um, Infinity Pool stars Alexander Skarsgård uh, as oh, what a what a great way to start a movie. Mm. Um, he's a writer who has writer's block and is trying to figure out what to do. Mm. You you can see the screenwriter sitting at the typewriter. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do I do? Oh, it's about a writer who has writer. Whenever uh, whenever they always say to writers, write what you know, and then you, there's a million novels and movies about writers with writer's block, and I'm like. <laughs> Okay, don't write what you know. What do you know second best, maybe? Um, okay, it's about a guy who goes to a coffee shop a lot. And okay, let's, let's, at least he's going somewhere. And hopes he gets another check soon. Um, the, yeah, uh, the Alexander Skarsgård character has writer's block. He's written one novel in his career, mm-hmm. and it was years previous. It's like and six it, years ago now. And it wasn't a big hit. So no. he's clearly coasting on the money of his wealthy young wife. Yeah. Uh, they're on vacation in a fictional European country, uh, and they're in kind of a resort town, and whenever we right. see, like, the edge of, like, the hotel grounds, mm-hmm. we see that it's covered in barbed wire, so it's not actually considered, yeah, it's like, a, a fancy they, they, area. They don't even say it's Europe, it's just somewhere, It's just, yeah. uh, and they, they keep on referring to it as a third world country. The only thing that, uh, the only place they're allowed to visit is this resort. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's already this kind of fantasy universe where... Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of dystopian place. We're not even sure what, what year it is, if it's yeah. the present. Uh, he runs into, by sheer chance, uh, mm. a woman who claims to be a really big fan, which naturally feeds into his incredibly insecure ego. She's played by the great Mia Goth. Uh, Mia Goth had an incredible year last year with X and Pearl, uh, but you might also remember her from the remake of Suspiria. Mm. Uh, she was in uh, She was in that... Emma. Uh, yeah, that remake, of that, or that yeah. remake, that uh, new version of Emma. Um... Really wonderful actor. Um, she and her husband are also vacationing there. They decide to go off, off on a picnic outside the uh, resort grounds. A little, you know, a little on the sly. A little breaking the rules a little bit, you know. Kind of edgy. And uh, when they're on their way back and they're all drunk, uh, Alexander Sarsgaard is driving the car and he hits one of the locals and kills them. And that's when he discovers, when he is arrested, that there are two distinct laws that are really noteworthy in this country. Uh, one, if you kill someone, their firstborn son gets to kill you, and like right away. There's no, there's not even a trial. Just yeah. boom. Doesn't matter if you meant it or not. Boom, you die. However, if you're rich and a tourist and white, which is which is more implied than anything else, but oh. it's all it's all white people, uh, you get to pay them. To make an exact double of you. Now, yeah, they, they have not a mannequin. A, they have an ATM. Yeah. And a cloning pool yeah. in the prison house. Now, then the, the clone has to be perfect. It can't just be your body. It can't just look like you. It's not an avatar. It has to be you within, without. It has to think it's you. It has to think it's guilty of the thing. Otherwise, it doesn't count according to their laws. But once that clone is made... That clone will be executed for any crime you committed, and all you got to do is watch. Mm. 
Yeah, and you're, you're forced to watch. You're forced to watch, which this sounds like all, a horrible thing, but Alan Skarsgård, Alexander Skarsgård does it, and he's like, he's like his, his, his like his like bored Roman emperor switch flips, and he becomes mm-hmm. like, I, I, he becomes like an instant hedonist, and it turns yeah. out that uh, Mia Goth and her husband and this other small cadre of rich people at the resort mm-hmm. have been there a while and already have been committed, uh, have already committed crimes. And I've already gone through this clone execution process. In, in fact, that is, for the really rich, the main reason to come to this country because mm. you can commit any crime you want and, and it doesn't even cost that much. I don't know if you've ever been to an ATM. They usually max out like what you're allowed to get yeah, after well, a few hundred bucks. Because it's a, a fictional country, he has like fictional money. There's, still. Yeah, this weird currency that's not used but anywhere. My point is it's it's still like whatever you can get from an ATM. So it's mm. not like $100 million to do this. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, basically, you can do whatever you want as long as you have enough money to clone yourself and then watch yourself get executed. Mm. And, and if you don't mind doing that, you can do whatever you want. And they've made, and they've made a sport of it. And every time they witness themselves being ex- executed, they somehow get stronger and more decadent. Uh, I mean, not literally, not, not like not in a Highlander really. way or anything like that. It just uh, it just it emboldens them. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and what do these boring rich people do? They do boring hedonism things. That's they, the thing. They engage in uh, uh, home invasion. Home invasion. They yeah. break into somebody's house and steal some stuff. So yeah. what? Some people die. Uh, you know, and uh, and they have an orgy, which isn't really well filmed. Like we don't see a lot no. of the orgy. They, they they do some drugs, and then there's an orgy, and then the orgy yeah, has they, some like, they weird have, stuff um, in it. But they have the drug. I'm not sure if you ever saw a Serbian film. No. Uh, there's there's a drug in a Serbian film that um, a, a makes you like uncontrollably horny like you'll mm. just have sex with anything and it also erases your memory that's, uh, that's the plot point of, uh, of Serbian film yeah so it's a plot point the, the main, well the main yeah. character gets eject, injected and then he wakes up like mm. a, like a week later with no memories and he has to kind of trace his steps right. and discover like the horrendous well, crimes he committed and really that's kind of a similar conceit to what we have in Affinity Pool because the whole idea is what if there was a thing and while you were and and under the influence of that what, thing, or what if be, there was a thing? No, but what if what if there was one addition to the universe in which we live that would completely change the moral rules? Hmm. Uh, and as long as you don't have like a really rich internal compass, like if you're not like very religious or hmm. principled, if you're not religious. Um, if you're just the kind of person who oh, the only reason why you don't do terrible things is because, you might get executed. Mm. This kind of nullifies that. Yeah. Okay. I can and get I was, executed, but then yeah. I'll be fine. So here, here you go. You have someone who now has carte blanche to do literally anything, anything you possibly want. And the only, like, as far as you're concerned, the only consequence is a temporary inconvenience. Hmm. And, and a fine. Yeah, and which, a fine, which, which, is, rich, which is meaningless. Pay, yeah. It's meaningless. He's, he, he, he married wealthy. He's, he's rich. Um, the possibilities for violence and hedonism are endless. And one gets the impression that Brandon Cronenberg is at least attempting to show extreme violence, some really gross stuff, you know, push, really push the boundaries. But, um, and, and granted, I'm, I realize I'm not, you know... I'm not really bragging here by admitting I haven't seen something like a Serbian film, which I know enough about to know I'm good. Uh, <laughs> it, I have, it's it's a, it's a rough one. I mean, it's I, I, it's yeah. 
I, I can guarantee you, William, uh-huh. person who has seen a lot of extreme horror movies, yeah. that you've probably seen something about as bad as a well, Serbian because film. That's what I'm kind of getting at. In, in terms of like rough content. Infinity Pool mm-hmm. is not the first extreme movie. It's not even extreme. Well, it's, 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 it's being marketed as such. I this is my point. It's being, there are people talking about, I saw a headline, is Infinity Pool the most violent horror film ever? No. Not even remotely close. (laughs) Please watch more horror movies. No, no, like, that's not even a thing. Like, it's really, I mean, I'm not saying it's tame, but, like, Mm. it's also not that extreme compared to a lot of shit out there. And it's frustrating uh, to watch it and to see it, like, it's trying to push boundaries with a concept that is specifically designed to allow the characters to push boundaries. Mm-hmm. And then not be creative about it. Yeah, it's incredibly yeah. frustrating how ultimately dull a movie with that that has carte blanche to do anything has chosen to be, mm. and it pisses me off because like on one level, like I I don't think the movie's very good, but I also worry that it's going to be one of those things where it's like, yeah, if you don't like this movie, you're a big prude, and I'm like, it's got nothing to do with that. Mm. My problem is it's not extreme enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people are reacting to the nudity. There's, 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 there's nudity. Nude, nude men and women. Fair, male, fair amount of nudity. Bottoms, penises, and breasts and all mm-hmm. the rest. We get to see those, those how sti- certain actors style their pubic hair. And, uh-huh. um, although although I suspect, based on how they're filmed, there's probably a lot of uh, stunt pubic regions involved. It's entirely possible. There's a yeah. lot of masks involved. There's a lot of yeah. uh, weird camera angles where we don't ever see a whole body. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of stunt, uh, literal stunt doubles because... Yeah. Uh, you know, because anyway, uh, yeah. of you know clones and plots and all the rest. Yeah, uh, and that is such an uncommon sight in feature films now. Yeah, that's true. Just nudity and sex on camera in general, especially in anything even yeah. remotely mainstream. Yeah, like, not anything. that this is mainstream, but this is in theaters. Like yeah, you know, I, kind of thing I, you'd I saw be it like on a on, Saturday on night. Video. It was a, a a pretty decent crowd in the theater. Yeah, it's like. I hadn't seen nudity with a crowd in a long time. It's just not something that really happened. Did the crowd respond to the nudity? Was there Were there titters? Were you there... know what? There weren't, actually. Okay. People were kind of just sitting there, kind of enjoying the film. Oh, that's um, good. Uh, and, but because it's so uncommon, uh, I think a lot of audiences who haven't seen a lot of nudity in films uh, are saying that this is extreme, that this mm. is daring, this is out on the edge. And uh, I, I'm old enough mm. that I've seen nc-17 rated films on the big screen i've mm. seen a lot of nudity in, in pictures and uh yeah this is another one of those and it's yeah. it's not using its nudity creatively no. it's not using its nudity in, in any kind of shocking way it's just people having sex and i'd say the same thing for the yeah. violence honestly yeah yeah and, and that's the thing it's like i feel like infinity pool was an is an extreme air quotes horror movie mm. made for people who wouldn't go see infinity pool it's like if yeah. you're going to see infinity pool you're probably seeing it because you've heard it's pretty fucked mm. up and then there's a decent... And some people might enjoy it. I'm not... You know, there's always subjectivity, but, you know, I'm watching it. I'm watching it with other people around me and, you know, people whose opinion I have some respect for. And and the the general takeaway... And I was like... I was almost surprised, actually, that I wasn't the only one. Mm. was just like, is that just kind of dull to anyone else? Yeah, like, it just yeah, feels well, like a lot of missed opportunities uh, abound. Yeah. Brandon Cronenberg is clearly trying to uh, tell tell sort of like a story of the bourgeoisie by way of Ken Russell. Like he's trying sure. to tell like a really extreme Ken Russell movie. Watch the devils. It's way further out on the edge yeah. than something like infinity pool. Uh, and he's also trying to do that like Boonwell class criticism thing as well. Mm-hmm. That these are rich people. The idea that um, wealthy Europeans can go to other country. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what it is, where it is. Yeah. And, uh, be and just sort of, to. 
be, you know? be, yeah, have their vices catered to and these sorts of places exist in the world for them to indulge in the worst possible vices ever and they just get to waltz away from it. You know, it, uh, and yeah. had they actually done something that was really shocking, mm-hmm. then maybe the point would be made. Right. But going to a resort and having an orgy almost seems like something our parents would have done in the 70s. You, you should you know? be doing that anyway. Honestly, like that's yeah, not the problem. Like, I, if you bring up Ken Russell, I think Ken Russell's a good example. You can think of a lot of different filmmakers who've done yeah. extreme stuff, but I think Ken Russell's a good example. And the Devils, you know, the the big nun orgy is an incredibly shocking image Yeah, in a variety of ways in The Devils. The Devils is a brilliant motion picture. Um, oh, I love it. It's not, yeah. I wouldn't say it's, it's as violent as... Uh, uh, Infinity Pool, but it's definitely more sexual. Um, but what it has more than anything else, the reason why that movie is still controversial and shocking is that it doesn't just do those things because it might shock you. Mm. Like Ken Russell is actually after something, and in The, in the Devils, he's condemning a, a deeply hypocritical state, whether that state is the government, religion, or the combination of the two. Um, it is weaponized. All of these, all of this extremity is being used to shock us out of complacency and get us to question things that we might not otherwise uh, have been willing to do so because of all, all the other movies were kind of coddling us. Mm. When you watch Infinity Pool, there's a little bit of class element of, of class stuff there. It's not terribly engaged with. There's a little bit of colonialism in there. It's not terribly discussed very well. Yeah. Ultimately, all this, all this rigmarole, all this violence, and all this sex, all it really seems to boil down to. Alexander Skarsgård is a little insecure. <laughs> like that's the, that's ultimately what it feels yeah, like. It, yeah. it zeroes in on that. Like yeah. it goes in a big old spiral. Maybe it's going to encompass. All you know, a big social critique or sexual uh, critique or something, something really that's going to really challenge our ideas. A, uh, and then it turns out it's just like, nah, my penis, me. And it's like, <laughs> well, it's I'm not it's, impressed. Uh, by it. I'm not impressed by it. it. It's zeroing in on this Alexander Skarsgård character, and he's you know kind of a useless layabout. He's not productive. He's clearly living off of money. Uh, he he's worth taking down. Sure. Uh, in, in terms of the story. Yeah. And the energy and time the film spends on taking down this guy is way too much. Mm-hmm. And that the other hedonists sort of start zeroing in on him and mocking him for his inability to become a great hedonist. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the point that we're supposed to be taking from that? that how is that, how he's that not profound? Co- that, that he's not committed enough to be a hedonist. He's not, he's, 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 not, he's, he's not, kind of mealy-mouthed even when it comes to being, like, a, a hedonistic bourgeois, which yeah. I suppose is, you know, you could write a weak character like you that. You absolutely could, which is fine. I actually feel like the movie, uh, get, he gets off kind of light, mm-hmm. all things considered, uh, get based no, on some of the things that could have happened to him in this movie. One of the things Mia Goth does to mock him mm-hmm. is read a review, yeah. a six-year-old review of his book. Yeah, which is not a kind uh, review. And yeah, it was a bad review. Yeah. Uh, evidently, his book was not well-received. And she starts yelling things out like, he has some of the vocabulary, he's bringing up interesting topics, but he's not addressing them. And he would be nowhere without his father. 
And uh-huh. I'm not sure if right, Brandon the, Cronenberg... In the review, it's his father-in-law, but still. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not sure if Brandon Cronenberg is trying to take the piss a little bit. Yeah, I wish it was if, clear. If it was clear, that could be funny. Yeah, like if he's yeah. trying to critique on his own body of work. Mm-hmm. Because to bring up the father is a little bit telling. Uh, well, but they at the bring same up time, any, any, if, any degree of uh, uh, nepotism, really. If, yeah. if the Alexander Skarsgård character, though, had turned the tables and done something mm-hmm. sort of clever and escaped, mm-hmm. then maybe that comment would have worked a little bit. Like he's doing something a little bit different. I could think of a million things for him to do, by the yeah. way. I had all these ideas. I mean, not that it needed to go to any of them. But all these things like, oh, this movie could go in so many different directions. And then mm-hmm. the direction they ended up going in was just kind of, oh. Yeah, it's just, and, it was like the least interesting thing they could have done. It's really frustrating, and I do feel like there is definitely like again, if you you create a story about you're you're a writer, you write a story about a writer. If that writer can't come up with anything interesting to do in your story, it's not great, mm. and you'd better have something to say about it. And unfortunately, I don't think this movie has a lot to say, which is weird because the basic premise is. An absolute fountain of possibilities. Oh, it's like, it's a great Twilight Zone premise. This, or this, Tales this from could the have been premise. this yeah. could have been like the 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 spine of a big anthology horror collection, where just yeah. hey, here's the premise. Your characters are in a place where you can do any horrible, commit any atrocity you want, and it's forgiven if you're rich and you don't mind going through a clone thing. And so clones are kind of on the table as well. Perhaps you could play with that. Mm. Um, I can think of so many horror authors who could do something interesting with that. <laughs> even if it's short, even if it's just a few thousand words. Mm. There's so many interesting things you could do. And I feel like I the, Infinity Gold the, is almost none of them. I'd love to see the Clive Barker version yeah. of this where they're just having sex with their own clones. Why not? It's like an orgy with just eight Alexander Skarsgård. That, do that. That's, a, that, that's a fucking image, yeah. right? That, uh, why, where's that uh, image? Then I say that's not in this movie. You can tell from that comment whether or not you'll be satisfied with infinity Pool. there you go it just it's a it's weird because on one hand it is clearly allowing itself to be more violent and sexual than usual today mm-hmm. which is to say pretty violent and sexual i'm not pretending it's a pg-13 um and yet it feels the entire time like it's holding back mm-hmm. and it, it's holding back thematically it's holding back creatively it's holding back visually it's just a dud and that's the last thing an extreme movie should be. Like, even <laughs> it, it, even it if should, I hate it, I shouldn't... Yeah. I, like, I, like, Human Centipede 3 is a fucking crime. Like, it's a terrible... <laughs> oh, not only is it disgusting, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Like, I, and this is someone who actually had some kind words for the first two. Yeah, even I, the second I, one. I don't see how you could say anything nice about I, that. I, I'm not saying movie. it's a good movie, but I, there were things where I was just like, you know what, it feels... It's at least it's a real movie. Like, the third movie is, is just... It, is it really? The third movie, well, at least it has a concept and it actually fulfills that concept. Right. It feels like it sells the point it's trying to make. Whether we needed to see it is beyond is besides the point. Um, the third one is just absolutely, I think it's just repellent. Mm-hmm. By design, but By it design. succeeds. Yeah. But, but, you know what? It legitimately is extreme. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It actually has ideas. It actually oh, yeah, has yeah. some the, some the, bold ideas. I don't think they're good ideas, but it well, has I, ideas and they're committed to it. I think and they're the, using the extremity to tell that story. I, I think a big problem with extremes, uh, an example like Human Centipede <coughs> Three, is mm. that the extremity is uh, so repellent yeah. that it's difficult to absorb the ideas. Exactly, you're you're too put off by the visuals to really engage with what the filmmaker is trying to say. And that is the danger yeah. of extreme cinema, mm. where you you run the so, risk yeah, of. 
if it, you re- there is a balance involved. If you yeah. reduce that film to sort of the the concept and some of the, mm. the key uh, plot points, mm-hmm. you can actually see something a little bit interesting going on with yeah. those human centipede movies. Yeah. The problem is when you're watching them, yeah. uh, you understand that a big big part of those movies is merely to repel. It's a yeah. It's a uh, it's, it's a, a geek a, show. Yeah. It's, it's a side show. Yeah. Just to make make yeah. you feel really grossed out, and yeah. if you're grossed out, it's kind of just doing its job. That's all there is to it. I've said before that the idea of the human centipede movie mm-hmm. is essentially a human centipede movie. Like once, because yeah. I've known people who've had their whole day ruined by explaining the plot of the human centipede. <laughs> it's like, yeah, once you know that it's a real movie, mm. you you know all you need to know. Really. Yeah, the, you only watch it on a dare. Uh, yeah, the, you just watch the, it to um, prove that that's a real thing, and I can mm. tell you it is. So you don't have to do that if you don't really want to. Well, this is we're on a tangent, but the, really. the, the central the central point of the human centipede movies. Mm. Uh, if you go to human centipede, okay, it's a geek show. You can squint and pretend it's a real movie. It's a mad scientist, but it's movie. a mad scientist. It's, it's, movie. it's any mad yeah. it's any dialogue Doctor uh, Moreau mad scientist movie. Yeah. But rather, but really gross. Yeah. But yeah, rather than doing something uh, mm. something s- sensible like vivisecting people and turning them into animals. Yeah, you know, you're, like you're, you do. Yeah, you're 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 sewing their their GI tracts together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Human Centipede 2 takes place in a universe where Human Centipede is a movie. Yes. Uh, and somebody's inspired by Human Centipede to make their own Human Centipede. Yeah, and they discover it, it, that it's in, actually... In quote, a, the real life. And real what they life, discover yeah. is that it's that's a movie and it's mm. even more horrifying to do it in, in real life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. It's, and, it's a simple premise, but it's a premise. Uh, and then in Human Centipede 3, even the second one is a movie within yeah. the universe. So we keep pulling out from layers of reality. Yeah. And... Uh, each one of those movies is about the sequels anyway, is about being inspired by the one that came before it and trying to outdo it. And well, look at what a human centipede is, right? Somebody who is like digesting the the, the last generation. uh, As gently as I can digesting the previous generation's food. Okay. So it's taking, it's sort of like a, a, a media study in a way. It's mm. sort of like taking the inspiration of a previous generation mm. and turning it into something that is even more extreme. It's about influence. Sure. Okay. Uh, but you know, what, what are you getting out of that influence? Where you're getting something even more revolting mm. each time. So it's kind of a commentary on how influence is a very negative force when it comes to, again, at, at least it's about something, uh, you know, there's an idea in there, Yeah. but again, too extreme. Yeah. Uh, because Infinity Pool is not extreme, I can engage with its ideas. Mm-hmm. And I can see how empty it is. Yeah. And see how unsophisticated it is. Yeah. And how Brandon Cronenberg is hoping that I'll be distracted by the extremity, not knowing that I'm a jaded fuck, mm-hmm. and will be able to see through his little tricks. Which is why I'll say once again, mm-hmm. the ideal demographic for Infinity Pool mm-hmm. is someone who would never be caught dead seeing a human centipede movie. Yeah. If this is your first extreme horror movie, mm-hmm. you're probably going to respond good, to good this very intro, powerfully. Yeah. Even even if you're repelled, it will have an impact. Yeah. But I feel like if this is the kind of movie, I'm not saying it needs to be old hat, but like if this is the kind of movie you would you would you would see. You've probably seen other movies do this kind of thing better. And you'll probably see that this is just kind of hollow and superficial. And that's really frustrating. Because, again, I think there's a really interesting premise here. Mm. And it's very frustrating to see so very little done with it. So, I'm very much looking forward to the straight-to-video Infinity Pool 2. <laughs> like, all other horror movies get sequels. Why not this? Like, I, they're actually, you could actually improve on this in a sequel. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% you get William Brent Bell to do this. And, like, uh, you know, the guy, well, the guy I, who did The Boy. And just, like, he does all these low-rent things and occasionally he'll make a really good one, but they'll make a really crappy one. Uh, like, just get some schlockmeister just to do something kind was, of fun with this. I think you might actually have something more... 
I was going to say it's 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 a pity we don't have Stuart Gordon anymore. Well, that's true. Uh, that's true for uh, yeah. Brian. Bri- Bri- yes. Stuart Gordon slash Brian Usna would have knocked Ooh. something like this out of the park. Yeah, I mean, they already made a movie called Society, which deals with similar themes. Society and has a similar oh, origin scene. Society is a much better version. Of <laughs> society is like society is a much better version. Wonderfully of wacky movie yeah. and has a wonderful climax. And it, and it and it isn't afraid to be about shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bit of a bummer. Bit so of a yeah, bummer. so don't see Infinity Pool. See Society. Okay. Society's great. All right, now we're in a we're in a situation where you've seen more movies this week than I have. Mm. I've only seen one other film. Okay. So we probably shouldn't jump right into that movie. We should right. balance it out a little bit. <laughs> All right. So what do you well, want to talk about next? What would you like? Well, um, why don't you choose? What would you like me to talk about? I, right. I saw... Um... You saw a bunch of films. Uh, uh, let's talk about... Uh, why don't we talk about Close? Close. All right. Uh, Close is up for an Academy Award this year. Mm. Uh, we're recording this prior to the announcement of the award, so it's just a nominee. Mm. Um, uh, and it's uh, for Best International Film. Yeah. This is from uh, a director named Lucas Dont who previously did uh, a rather pilloried movie called Girl. Yeah, I heard a lot uh, of really ugly things about I didn't see Girl, but I heard a lot of really uh, horrendous criticisms of it. Yeah. Uh, the criticisms that I read make, made me not interested in seeing it, and so I uh, haven't. But, but strangely, it won, like, a queer palm and, like, a camera yeah. door at Cannes. Uh, it, it's... Um, yeah, it, it won a bunch of awards, but then a lot of critics, like, really hated it for its, like, mm. irresponsible storytelling. Uh I didn't see that, but I can say that Close is actually uh, about something that is, I think, needed, needed, needs addressing mm. in society. Okay. Uh, Close is about two boys. They're about 13. and uh, Their names are Leo and Remy, and they're played by actors named uh, Eden Dombrain and Gustave de Waller. Okay. And... They're best friends. They live, they've grown up, they've uh, been best friends since they were little kids. They've grown up on neighboring farms and they actually have uh, gone to each other's uh, farms and helped out. They sleep at each other's houses to the point where the filmmaker is very careful to keep angles in tight so it looks like they kind of live in the same house. Okay. Uh, and even, you know, for a while, you're not even, you're not even sure whose parents are whose. They're that Just one of those childhood they're... friends whose lives are basically intertwined. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And importantly... Uh, they're best friends. They have a very close rapport. They ask each other anything. They're incredibly close. And importantly, they're very physically close. Mm. They're le- they lean on each other a lot. Mm. They sleep in the same bed. They spoon. They hug. They talk very close to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of physical contact. One might be tempted to think this is a queer love story. Okay. And I don't think that's an unfair read. But I also think that this is uh, just as powerful a story if these are two cishet boys mm-hmm. who are in, just intimate with one another. Yeah, who are, who are close. Their, their friendship is close. Now, yeah. they're 13, and when they go to school, their classmates have reached the age where they're grilling them on the state of their relationship. Mm. Are, you t- are you two lovers? Do you touch? Yeah. That's a little weird that you guys touch. Uh, there's some bullies that don't beat them up, but give like push them around a lot and give them a lot of grief okay get the get into fights but you know like in a playful scrape sort of a way nobody's mm. doing like breaking bones and because they're reaching this age where they're being interrogated by this sort of insidious air of heteronormativity like you need to behave like uh not like that you can't be that physically intimate that's 
Yeah. Not correct. Yeah, the men, uh, the uh, um, males, the relationships between males in a wide variety of Western cultures are basically uh, very rigidly defined mm. from outside of them as things that are inappropriate for you to do. And many of those things are incredibly not a thing. Yeah. Just yeah. not, not a problem. No, not just basically just don't be nice to each yeah. other. I, I remember being 12 yeah. and f- feeling uh, a grave injustice mm. that my female peers mm. were permitted to lean on each other and hold hands and be physically intimate and hug yeah. where, and, and not be mocked. Mm. Whereas if 12 year old boys did that, they were. Yeah. Uh, their uh, their sexuality was called into yeah. question, and of course, it was bad to be gay. Now that was that was the overarching the, thing. That was the fear based on this this, of, this yeah. homophobia. Yeah, uh, this is a movie about that that grave injustice, the, mm. the sort of homophobia that just sort of floats through everything without mm. anybody really saying. Well, again, they're kids; they don't even know yeah. what they're talking about exactly. a lot of the time. Exactly. They just know and, what they just know what they've been told and, is appropriate or not. Uh, I, I'm not going to say too much about the plot because there's actually some very dramatic reveals okay. uh, about about halfway through the movie. Something very dramatic happens. Okay. Um, but prior to that, um, uh, uh, Leo, the Leo character, uh, kind of is starting to see this uh, pressure from the boys around him mm. to behave more like them. And he joins the hockey team. Yeah. And we see that with the hockey playing guys, the only way they can express their physical intimacy is through violence. They yeah. crash into each other. They fight. They wrestle. It has been argued that that is one of the larger uh, yeah. uh, purposes of sports in yes, male culture. For, for yeah. men, men to have mm. a sort of physical intimacy mm. in, in a, a, a venue where their sexuality won't be questioned. It's weird. I, I've, I've heard a lot of like comedians even talking about mm. this where like, just in society in general, men aren't allowed to hug unless they're also hitting each other yeah, on the yeah. back. I've like hugged a, another man before in a mm-hmm. very platonic way. And then they would hit me on the back, not in like a pat pat, mm-hmm. but in a very painful yeah, kind of way. Like, like this this yeah. is this is required mm-hmm. because we can't be gonna... this close. Mm-hmm. And it was very disconcerting. Yeah, and it's a and... very strange way to behave. But uh, yeah, uh, what happens in the movie uh, sees Leo um, moving forward by himself, and how uh, the he and the families and the entire school are sort of uh, litigated, and a lot is called into question about how people behave because of this unspoken pressure, and Leo understands that there was all of this unspoken pressure. Uh, we get to sort of see how uh, the, the families and the classrooms and everybody uh, talks about Leo and how they talk about Remy and how they talk about their relationship and how there's just this complete ignorance, this deliberate lack of understanding as to how these two boys related to one another. Uh, there's a lot of Malikian shots of uh, these two boys just sort of wandering through the fields because they live on farms, so there's right. going to be a lot of beatific shots of them wandering through these beautiful natural spaces. Um, it's, uh, I will say this, it's full of cheap shots. Like uh, dramatic uh, shots. Dramatic like, cheap yeah. shots. Like yeah. you're, you're going to be crying and crying and crying and you're going to be ma- manipulated, you know it. Mm. But I feel like because it's based in something very real about 
young male closeness, mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm willing to forgive a lot of that. Mm. Uh, there's and, a place for melodrama. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. There, there's a lot of uh, a big hammier moments that some people might find a little bit too manipulative. Like they go mm. a little too far in one way. They uh, they're clearly pushing you around a little bit. But I think that the point is incredibly salient, mm. and I think that a lot of what the filmmaker is doing is in is quite fair. Uh, he, he's not breaking rules. He's just playing, you know, taking some big swings. Uh, this, this film will break your heart. It, it okay. just, it's meant to do that. It's meant to sort of rip you up a little bit. And it, mm. for me, it was quite effective yeah. because I, I felt what it was saying and I felt what it was getting at in terms of uh, the way queerness is treated, even if it's not necessarily queerness. It could be. Yeah, just just but, just the mere the mere possibility yeah, of queerness is something exactly. that must be stamped out. Yeah, the, is this the, vibe um, we get too often? The film I was reminded of was a film I actually very much like, which was was uh, Michael Haneke's The White Ribbon. I'm not oh, really I've never sure seen the White, the White Ribbon. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, the White Ribbon is about how children are punished in this sort of I think it's early 19th century mm. uh, German town, this like little village, and how punishing the children for like little social slights ends up sort of affecting their families and the families start growing this sort of resentment. They start attacking each other's farms Mm. and then there's more guilt and more accusations and eventually you kind of see this rudimentary fascism start, start to take place. Uh, You know, it's, it's about the origins of fascism. It's a really intelligent, really fascinating movie. Mm. This is the same kind. It's this kind of social fascism. It's this analysis of the way, uh, young children are forced into certain boxes without even really realizing it or realizing it, but just sort of going mm-hmm. with the flow. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's, e- even though there isn't a lot of open prejudice or, or um, uh, bigoted language, yeah. that's what it's dealing with. Sure. That's the world it's living in. And I think mm-hmm. it actually plays, plays it very smartly. Okay. Uh, well, I guess on that note, I have nothing to add. I didn't see it. Right. Um, on that note, I guess the cleanest segue would be, uh, we th- did a movie about kids. Let's do a movie about kids versus aliens. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Basically the same thing, right? No, no. This is quite, quite different. Oh, um, well, never mind then. This is uh, a Canadian film mm. by, uh, Jason Eisner, who you Yay! might remember from Hobo with a Shotgun. A genuinely good movie. Um, I know, I know that sounds like a joke, but like Hobo with a Shotgun there was a contest when the movie Grindhouse came out. Uh-huh. Uh, you remember where Grindhouse originally came out as a double feature? You would see both films, and then there'd be fake trailers. Uh, you'd see... Uh, by Ru- famous filmmakers. Yeah, so. Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror, followed by Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. And then in, in beforehand, in the middle, you would see a fake trailer for Robert Rodriguez's Machete, turned into a real movie. Eli Ross Thanksgiving, finally being turned into a real movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had... Uh, Edgar uh, Wright's Don't. Which is... Possibly the best fake trailer that they had. And, uh, Ed, and, 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 and uh, Rub- people have asked Edgar Wright incessantly yeah. if he's going to make that into a movie. He's like, There's, that's not a movie. I, just no, came up, there, I don't have an idea for a story or anything. I just did a trailer. It's a bummer because I'd love to see Edgar Wright do that kind of like, that kind of British horror movie. The, like, yeah, you know, yeah. A bunch of paranormal investigators go into a spooky house horror movie. Um, Rob Zombie did Werewolf Women of the SS, which... Mm feels like he wasn't on the same page as everyone else in terms of like <laughs> in terms of style like he's really no, he's just well, kind of doing his own fucking he's, thing he's doing his own thing in that yeah. one yeah admittedly that's that's i'm not saying it's it, it's it's without its charms but it's a very different vibe uh and uh there was a contest to have someone contribute their own fake grindhouse trailer 
as, and, as a promotional as and, a promotional thing and, 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 the, the, and the finalists mm, were put online yeah and um, the winner was attached to the print in Canada. In Canada. Sadly, not in America. The the, the trailer was quite good, actually. And it it's played a, after the picture. It wasn't yeah. cut into the middle. I wish they did cut it into the middle. I know, that would have been nice. But uh, the trailer's for a movie called Hobo with a Shotgun. And it is about a guy who is a homeless person who gets a shotgun and goes on a violent revenge spree. Uh, that also got turned into a feature film starring Rutger Hauer. Mm-hmm. And it's great. It's it's weirdly effective yeah uh, Jason Eisner the filmmaker who did the the fake preview as well yeah uh, he he turned it into this is only a second feature Kids vs. Aliens so he did mm. Hobo with a Shotgun oh it's been a while uh, yeah it was 11 years uh, he he pumped it up yeah he made it really garish it feels um, like a trauma movie but, with, yeah, but, but, but a much yeah, smarter a, trauma movie there, yeah, people are executed with like these sort of custom manhole covers you like, put around their neck and put them down a manhole and run over their heads. Yeah, uh, there's a, a carnival where you smash people's foots and people are just sacks of viscera in that movie. Yeah. There's a lot of exploding glop in that. The, film. the world is a very abusive, yeah. uh, a fascistic place in a very cartoonishly violent way. And all Rucker Howard, he's homeless. All he wants to do is make enough money that he can buy a lawnmower. And then he will use that lawnmower to make more money by mowing people's lawns and making some money and then getting like a a place to live. Very modest goals. And he is pushed so fucking far by society that eventually he gets himself a shotgun and kills all the bad guys. There is a scene in this movie where Rucker Hauer, wielding a shotgun, looks out over a whole room full of newborn babies. (laughs) This is like a... Moment of introspection. Uh, honestly, should have. He's not going to kill the babies. No, 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 no. He's a hero. Like it should have had for your consideration on that clip, <laughs> Even, like in the official print. Like he's he's legitimately great. <clears throat> he's legitimately movie, giving yeah. an amazing monologue about how all, uh, there was a time in everyone's life when they were brand new, mm. and all of their possi- the world was nothing full of possibilities, and you might end up, you know, taking over the world, becoming a big superstar, or you might end up like me. A hobo hobo with with a shotgun. (laughs) And he's genuinely great. God, I miss Rucker Hauer. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't Rucker Hauer in the original preview. No, sadly no, but still fucking great. Amazing performance of Rucker Hauer. So anyway, if you've never seen Hobo with a Shotgun, that's a good example of extreme cinema. Yeah, well, and, yeah. and that's yeah, that sort of Neo Grindhouse thing. So yeah. they're 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 doing this extreme cinema, but they're doing it in sort of like a winky way. Oh, it's it's a comedy, like, yeah, yeah, but, it, but, it's really... also, but it's a comedy with a point yeah. to it. It's not um, you know. Jason Eisner has sort of been floating around the the filmmaking because mm. he also did a, one of the segments in the ABCs of Death, and he yeah. uh, uh, he did Why is for Young Buck, and he mm. did uh, he did one of the uh, segments in VHS two. Oh, uh, he did one, one called Slumber Party Alien Abduction. Oh, that's a fun one, actually. Yeah. I kind of like that one. This is a film version of Slumber Party Alien Abduction. Oh, okay, that tracks. Yeah, kids versus aliens. Oh my gosh, so this is all part of the VHS universe. I, I suppose so. This is an ex- expansion of the. We've VHS. We've had a couple of those. Uh, uh, Siren movies. was a was a spinoff of VHS One. Okay, and yeah. I think there's there's room for plenty of the VHS movies to get their own Turn movie. Into features, Honestly, and... some of them are good enough. Like not all of them, but uh, some of them. Kids versus Aliens. Uh, you can tell he's trying to break some sort of record for the number of times they use the word fuck because they say it in every. <laughs> let's say it's yeah. like eleven year old kids, and they're all just cussing up a storm. Sure. Uh, and this is his The Fablemans because. <laughs> The main characters are filmmakers, okay. and they want to make trauma movies in their barn. Oh, that's so they're nice. dressing up as warriors, and they're cussing at each other. I'm going to fuck you up, wizard. I'm going to hit you with my death sword. <laughs> and they're 
they're they don't have a lot of personality, but there's a bit of punk rock charm to just sort of being that scrappy and filthy. I, I'm actually really glad that exists because I feel like something like the Fableman suggests mm-hmm. that like there's like almost the right way to be a young filmmaking enthusiast. Right, like you have and to it, like the the yeah. right kinds of films. Yeah, I was like, no, like no, 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 right no. People are into all kinds of weird shit. And if you, yeah. I, I, um, what was I just talking to? I was talking about like people. Someone was like, oh yeah, people who saw like. Star Wars The Force Awakens when they were 13 are in film school now. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. And they're probably getting into like really long, annoying, drunk debates with all the people who were like, went to the film school, <laughs> not because they saw The Force Awakens, yeah. but because they saw like... like Ingmar Bergman or something. Or, yeah. Ingmar Bergman or VHS 2. Like, <laughs> those are the three kinds yeah. of people you meet. You meet like the really mainstream people, mm. the really art house people, and the really fucked up horror people. And you put them in a pot together. You you shoved them into a classroom together and you just watched them argue. And that was was my entire film school experience. I I wish that um, the movie Scream 2 had been more about that. Same. It's like, there's like two scenes devoted to like the film school stuff and they don't go nearly far enough with it. Like, this is a movie about horror movies. Make the whole thing about film analysis. I know. I I was bummed Uh, when uh, like the second season of the Scream TV series didn't go to college. I feel like that would have made more sense. Mm. Whatever. Uh, but yeah, this this is about eleven year olds who really love gory horror violent movies. And cool. the older sister, who is she's a teenager, she's mm. like maybe fifteen or so. Yeah, is out. She's uh, she knows how to do like stunts, mm. and she's always been very game to appear in her little brother's movies. But she's kind of outgrowing it. Yeah, especially because uh, while they're filming uh, the local bullies break in straight out of a Stephen King movie, mm. they say, "You guys are terrible. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to break your cameras." And uh, and of course, the older sister kind of starts to get a thing for the the head bully because oh, he's, he's handsome. Did you uh, did you see the, the Simpsons did a parody of it this last year? No, I didn't see it. There was this really really funny because the bullies in it are oh. like you know they're the really evil and stuff like that. Oh. Uh, and uh, the one of the main kids was played by like a young. Principal Skinner. Okay. And if you recall that in, in the main series, Principal Skinner's boss is Superintendent Chalmers. Mm. And whenever Superintendent Chalmers shows up, he says, Superintendent Chalmers! Yeah. Uh, like, oh, you're here. Superintendent Chalmers, welcome. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, in the in the It parody, the, the bit that still makes me chuckle every time I think about it is one of the bullies is, is Chalmers. <laughs> okay. And when Seymour Skinner sees him, he says, Superintendent's kid Chalmers! <laughs> Superintendent. No, Homer called him Super Nintendo Chalmers. I know, it's also funny, but anyway. Uh, no, that was that was uh, that was Ralph Wiggum. Oh, so they called him Super Nintendo yeah, Chalmers. Super Nintendo Chalmers. <laughs> uh, b- because bully is bully is like, hey, yeah. your parents are going out of town, teenage girl. Uh, she mm. says yes. Let's have a party at your place. Yeah. Just a couple of us, and of course, it goes completely out out, out of control. Which it would. Yeah. They start doing things like spray painting on the walls because this is. I saw Bachelor Party. I know yeah, what happens J- when you get too J- many people in a room together. And Jason Eisner, clearly working with a very small budget, is doing that thing that low-budget filmmakers love to do. And I encourage this, is just blast colored lights on everything. Yeah. It's like, it's a good way to give your film sort of a, a visual dynamism when you don't have any money. So mm. if, if it's really bright green, you're at least looking at something. At least it looks different, yeah. Uh, sometimes it looks really garish and ugly. Sometimes I like garish and ugly. Um, yeah, Rob Zombie did that in his Monsters movies, just yeah. like trying to put bright lights on everything. It's like, okay, he's trying something. Yeah. He's trying to make these bright garish colors look interesting. Uh, it's kind of ugly here, but he's oh. trying. And wouldn't you know it, there, uh, you know, some aliens landed nearby. Uh, they've been abducting people. And these are violent rip you apart kind of aliens ah. like they look like alien greys but they got fangs and they're big and kind of scary yeah, and they have claws cool. 
Um, uh, yeah, they're, they're sort of tall and imposing and they take people back to their ship and they like pour acid on people and rip people apart. And it's up to the kids who are the only ones savvy enough to see what's going on to break in and use their filmmaking skills and their filmmaking weapons and specifically uh, the teenage sister to use her fighting skills to fight off the aliens. Okay, all of that sounds fun. Movie 75 minutes. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, that's exactly the right length and for that movie. It's all... It, it still feels a little padded because oh, there aren't a lot of ideas here. <laughs> There's only so much you can do, really. Uh, I, with I, that budget, I anyway. feel like Jason Eisner just wanted to do some like fun gore effects and yeah. have kids cuss a bunch. Yeah, there could be a lot more personality here. Mm. He's not interested in that. He's interested oh. in the effect. He's interested in the visuals. Okay, are they good? Uh, not, uh, no, oh. not, they're not great. Oh. Like I said, he's trying to do something interesting, and he. he, he I would prefer this approach to something really kind of drab, mm -hmm. but it's still kind of garish and awful. <laughs> so at the end, at the end, you're left with this really kind of unsubstantial movie that has a, like a lot of glop and a lot mm. of violence and a lot of gore and a lot of cussing, mm. and it it felt like you barely experienced the, it. The one thing I'm not getting from your description, mm. and it, just because it could go either way, depending uh. on how you're describing it. Is this a movie for adults that happens to be about kids, or is this a movie that has like obvious kid appeal and like kids will have to sneak and see this R-rated yeah, movie when their is, parents aren't in the house? It's for like thirteen-year-olds who want okay. to see something like a slightly more extreme than what they're for, used for. For thirteen-year-olds seeking out that yeah. like you know <laughs> we're watching an R-rated movie uh -huh. kind of experience is is it good on that level at least? Do you think it'll do you think it'll be like a gateway drug for them? Or? No, because it, well the the error it makes is making it about the kids, right? Mm. Uh, there are a lot of horror movies about kids that some you know, of them are really good. Yeah, um, I'm, Monster I'm Squad, of, The Gate. I was, yeah, I was thinking of The Gate, which yeah. is from when when we were kids. Yeah, uh, these movies where uh, children are in horror situations. Yeah, they can be, and those really are well. good for kids. Yeah. Goosebumps did that not too long ago. The first Goosebumps is quite solid. Uh, it's PG thirteen, but it's really good. Uh, I, I mean. Yeah, the first one's pretty good. First so, one's really good. Second, second one's a total retread. Second one has, has some there. fun, like, Halloween images, but yeah, yeah it's, not, it's, the it's same not a movie. great movie. It's the same movie, just not as good. Yeah. Yeah. Which one had Jillian Bell in it? First one. That was the first one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, the first Goosebumps. First, good. It's a really, really good movie. I would totally watch it at any slumber party, you know? Like, okay. Or I would I would give that to kids, like, uh, okay, they, watch this and come back in a couple they, hours and give me some snacks. They, they didn't use their script, but uh, Scott, Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski are credited for the story on that movie. Uh, goosebumps. For Goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah that tracks. Yeah. Uh, no, this, this one is, uh, unfortunately, it feels like one of those... Um, I'm not sure if you have this experience where you're sort of thumbing around through a streaming service. Mm. Uh, let's say Amazon, one of the big ones. Okay. And you're looking you're looking for a cult movie. You're looking for something mm. kind of strange and weird yeah. that you haven't seen before, which is hard for people like us who've seen a lot. Yeah. And you run aground on something that looks kind of interesting. It's like, oh. ooh, they ripped Helen apart. Ooh, I want to see that. that. That's a title. It's like, they ripped Helen apart. And, and you're looking for the year. When was that made? If it, if it says 1973, you're in good hands. Yeah, that's going to be a fun movie. If it says 2006, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. Intimately, I'm intimately familiar mm. with that phenomenon, yeah. Yeah, where, where yeah. If, if it's like a Grindhouse film from sort of like a, from the past, like from mm. the Grindhouse era, yeah. and it was made in earnest, mm. you're, that's the film well, you want to see. Because more effort had to go into making yeah. really low-budget schlock yeah. back then. Yeah. And yeah. But when... It's made in the more modern time, especially when they are sharply cognizant of Grindhouse movies from the 70s. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot the of Thanks to the movie winking. Grindhouse. Yeah, yeah there, there's access to irony, and now you're not yeah. sure how, how seriously the filmmakers are going to take it, and you don't want to take the chance. So you don't watch the movie. I, this is why I actually uh, think we're probably overdue for a proper, meaningful analysis of, like, the sci-fi channel monster movies of the 2000s, which were cheap. 
but were largely made without too much irony for many years. The, like, the Sharknado, uh, Sharknado film is standing, but yeah. No, I think once we hit Sharknado, which is quite a few years into that cycle. Yeah. Once we hit Sharknado, there was it was a lot more wanking. It was a lot, not to say it was all, but mm. before that, you would see a movie called Mansquito, and it was trying to be a real movie. It was yeah. a silly movie. It was made with a certain lack of competence, but... It wasn't just like, ha, 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 we're doing Mansquito. It's like, no, no, what if we tried? What if we actually tried yeah, to make We don't have enough money. We, we, we don't, don't have, have any the, money, but we we're going to make the a budget. Mansquito We don't movie. have the cast. We don't have the script, but we're going to try, kind of. Let's see. Uh, they made a movie. Oh, what was that movie? Starred Marina Baccarin. And uh, it. Uh, so you remember when uh, Cecil B. DeMille did uh, Cleopatra? Uh huh. Um, they brought in, like, the, the legend goes, they brought in actual Egyptian artifacts for the movie to like, oh, okay, get, yeah. make it all cool and stuff. Uh, so what if he brought in an actual mummy? Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Sure, and and I got really excited because, like, like, Dan Castellanata like... was, was playing DeMille. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> oh, a mummy is going to attack the set of the Cleopatra? How cool is this? Dan Castellanata is a funny guy. He is. And then, and then they, they cut away. And then, like, cut to, like, 70 years later. Mm. And still a neat premise. Not as neat. But the idea is, and this is actually something that would used to happen, they just left all that shit in the desert. Like, all their sound stages. <laughs> yeah. And now, finding an old Hollywood set mm. is an act of archaeology. Mm. And so there's an archaeological dig to unearth the classic Cleopatra set, and then they unleash the mummy. That way you get to do it in the present day where it's cheaper, and you only yeah, have to, like, yeah. pay for, like, old costumes yeah. for, like, a day which I get but you know what that's fun mm. you had fun with that anyway I just kind of miss those movies when they were a little bit more sincere yeah some yeah, of them were I'm, really fun I feel like Jason Eisner I mean we, we've seen Hubble with a shotgun sure, he's, and he's th- those, those, those are he's talented but yeah. he also is digging deep into the irony well yeah. and I feel like that's going on a little bit with kids versus aliens uh, it's a little bit too self-aware uh, of its gore for it to be having uh, enough fun with it and uh, Gore is fun. Violence can be fun, and sure. uh, you know, especially in cinema. Especially, yeah, exactly. Cin- yeah. Cinematic horror violence is fun. Watch watching people getting melted into glop from alien goo. Yeah, is can be fun, and yeah. and the effects are fine in this movie. I'm not good. I think he does a lot with his low budget, but he he doesn't seem to be there, mm. really reveling the the glories of this by making it into a real movie. Mm. So too too focused on the gore. Comparison to trauma is not not inapt. Okay. Uh, well, moving on. Why don't we do the movie that I saw this week? All right. Because uh, it's also a comedy action film, uh, and this is a film called Shotgun Wedding. It is a film starring Jennifer Lopez, mm. and um, oh god, I almost called <laughs> no, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's I, he's I, I always want to call him not Timothy Oliphant. It's Josh Dumal. <laughs> Josh from, Dumas from those Transformers movies. from the Transformers yeah. movies uh, he he was the main guy in um, Safe Haven uh, he was the he was the actor for whom you coined the term a flawless rescue stud yeah, yeah. Uh, he's not happy unless he's changing himself for you he he exists to uh, uh, repair a, a mm-hmm. damaged leading lady yeah yeah um, the kind of the opposite of the man picture dream girl but also mm-hmm. like serves the same function in a way yeah yeah Anyway, uh, it's a rom-com in which they're getting married. And they're getting married at an, on an island in the Philippines. And it's all fancy. Uh, and their families are there. And there's, you know, there's there's jokes. Uh, her dad is played by Cheech Marin. 
Okay. Great to see Cheech Marin. His mm-hmm. mom is played by Jennifer Coolidge, who, <laughs> as usual, MVP of the movie. She's absolutely fucking killing it in this movie. She's very, very funny. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're getting married, and it's a big hullabaloo. Her ex-boyfriend shows up, and he's perfect. He, like, lands in a helicopter, and he gives, like, the perfect speech at, like, the, the dress rehearsal. And he's making... Not Timothy Oliphant, feel bad. Josh Duhamel. Josh Duhamel. I can't do it, man. Uh, and uh, and uh, so everything's really bad, and they're going to have like a big argument, and maybe this wedding is off. And that's when the pirates show up. And pirates show like, up on like, the beach, like our pirates with hook hands and pirates not have hook hands, but they have they have you know Kalashnikovs and masks and things, and right. uh, they they take everybody hostage, uh, and uh, they they threaten to kill everybody. If Cheech Marin, who is rich, mm. uh, doesn't give them $45 million. Like, that, okay. that, but, but he refuses to do that until they prove that his daughter is safe. And the only two people that they haven't found because they were off having an argument are the, the, the bride, bride and groom. And groom. Okay. So now they're... So they have to do an action scene on their wedding. They have to do an action sequence. They have to do an action movie on their, on their wedding day. Uh, they are zip-tied together for a lot of it. Uh, right. Making things extra complicated is that in their first, like, big fight with the bad guys, she ends up, like... <clears throat> Excuse me. She ends up like grabbing a grenade, but the pin has been pulled, mm. so she has to just carry it around with her like the whole time. <laughs> like, oh god, they were just waiting for the grenade to do something, and that's kind of funny. Um, great premise, not yeah. a, not a terribly high concept premise, but a mm. solid, fun premise. Die Hard at a wedding. Yeah, great. I, I I'm I'm in. I would buy that pitch, especially if you told me Jennifer Lopez was attached. I'm like mm. awesome. And she's quite capable of doing comedies and action. She's legitimately funny. And that's, Mm. this is the thing we don't talk about enough with Jennifer Lopez. Um, is that she's kind of just amazing at everything. Like we don't, we take her for granted as an actor, I think. Uh, As an actor, for sure. We we treat her more like a media personality Mm. or a pop figure than, you know, an actress. But she's a legitimately good at, she can do drama. I mean, fucking, uh, what was that? Hustlers. She's great in Hustlers. Yeah, should have been Oscar nominated in that movie. Awesome in that movie. Hustlers is wonderful. Great yeah, motion I love picture. Um, great and out of sight as well. Uh, she's legitimately very, very funny. She can kind of do it all. Mm. And once, like the the opening bit in this movie where we're just kind of setting up all the characters, is fine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's fine. Jennifer Jennifer Coolidge has some funny bits. Um, That's but it's fine. The thing with Die Hard is every almost every line of dialogue at yeah. the beginning of Die Hard mm, comes, comes into play, play later, later in, the, yeah. in the even like the opening scene where um, uh, John McClane is mm. landing in Los Angeles and there's yeah. this like yuppie guy on the plane next to him. We don't see him in the rest of the movie. No, uh, he mentions uh, you know if if you're looking to de-stress after going on a long plane ride because I can see you're really stressed out. Yeah, uh, what you need to do is like. St- Take put off your, your shoes. Put your bare feet on a carpet and kind of like rub the rub the carpet with your toes. Mm. That's a plot point. That's why he ends up barefoot throughout yeah. the movie and that becomes a huge plot point. Because he's doing that like when he's at the Christmas party. I, I would argue that so, maybe the two most exquisitely written first acts of any movie I've ever seen uh, are Die Hard and Back to the Future. In terms the, of like, yeah, like mainstream terms, blockbuster cinema. Every yeah. single fucking thing you see or hear or that they even like brush up against in it's, the first half hours of those movies are really important later. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely exquisitely done. Um, but in any case, the setup is, is just okay. Uh, once the action kicks in, it basically becomes 
Jennifer Lopez is hilarious as she's running around being chased by guys. There's a great bit where there's there's it's, it's almost right out of Game Night uh, where they kill their first bad guy. Oh no! <laughs> and they're just sort of like, yeah. Oh no! <laughs> oh, I'm a horrible person. <laughs> I'm going to jail. No, you're not going to jail. <laughs> that whole bit's kind of funny. Oh no, he died. I was I was afraid for a while because Josh Duhamel has done so much like action movie type stuff that it would turn out that he was like secretly a special agent and uh, he would be like dragging her around. That's boring. That's that's not fun. Th- and, there's a. I hate to dismiss actors like Josh Dumal and I'm not Sam dismissing Worthington. Him at all. I, just, I just get him confused for yeah. another guy, and that's on yeah. me. That's well, on I mean, I I feel um, I got to interview uh, an actor named Scott Speedman once. Yeah, Scott Speedman has had a long career. He's been a lot. He's he been was in a Felicity. Lot. He was yeah, in the was, Underworld movies. I, I think he's probably best known for Felicity because he actually got to do like play a character in that one. Uh, but if you look at his film career, he's done a lot of like soldiers and action kind of roles, yeah. really boring characters. Yeah. And I feel like there are certain actors who are probably capable of a lot more, mm. but because they look a certain way yeah. and because they can do sort of like that steely action thing well, yeah. they get cast in those kinds of roles a lot. Yeah. And so we get the impression that they're actually really boring actors. Yeah. Maybe they don't have great range, but they probably have more than we see. No, no. And this is why it's always exciting to see someone like Colin Farrell break out of that. Yeah. And and get to be interesting, you know? I I have a feeling that Sam Worthington has something in his future. Yeah. Uh, Or someone like Josh Dumal has something in his future. Like when they get to be in their 50s or 60s, they're not going to be doing the soldiers. Well, when Josh Dumal does comedy stuff, he's usually quite good. Mm. The problem is that the, the whole idea here is that these are characters who are not supposed to be action movie characters and even Jennifer Lopez hasn't really done a lot of action she was in Anaconda yeah. and she was in Out of Sight which isn't really an action well, movie she was in that movie Enough she got to do some yeah but that's more of a thriller yeah, really so. like she's she's never really been an action movie lead mm. she could kill it she'd be great but she hasn't really done it um, so her in that situation is funny yeah and she plays it up she's practically Lucille Ball in a couple of bits and that's a good compliment to get Josh Dumal, on the other hand, and part of this is just the baggage he brings to it because of his former films, he's actually a little wrong for the role because the character is written as a dweeb. Uh-huh. He's like he's like a baseball player, so he's supposed to be like fit, but he's not supposed to be like good in an action sequence. He's supposed to be just as out of his element as anyone else. And although Josh Dumal is good at comedy, we're so familiar with seeing him in an action movie role that it doesn't feel right. This feels like a Jay Baruchel role. You know, or Seth Rogen, or just someone who just like you put them in an action movie and it feels a little wrong. Yeah, and that's why it's funny. So it's not—he's he, doing the job, but I think actually casting him might have done the film a slight disservice because he brings so much baggage. Mm. It's an unfortunate critique, but what are you going to do? Um. So yeah, so whenever they're just wandering around doing silly things, silly action movie things, it's quite entertaining. We keep cutting back to the hostages and. Jennifer Coolidge keeps trying to do things in order to like mitigate their circumstances. Like, I'm going to humanize myself. I'm going to tell them everything about me. Really uncomfortable things. And then everyone else starts saying really uncomfortable things to all of the pirates. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah. But I think the, the biggest problem this movie has, this is a movie, this is a trick that movies that blend genres sometimes struggle with. When you take comedy and a genre that isn't inherently comedic, like a horror comedy or an action comedy, for example... Um, you have to decide what's the ratio of comedy to the other thing. Yeah. You have, is this 50, 50? Mm. Is it mostly an action movie, but there's some humor? 
is it mostly a comedy, but there's some action. Like, for example, uh, Paul Blart is an action comedy. But it's like 85% comedy. Yeah. And the action you can't really take too seriously. Mm. And that's the choice that they made. The first, part, the first Paul Blart is not even a bad movie. The I, second I, one is. <laughs> I haven't seen either of the Paul Blart. The, the second uh, one's atrocious. The first one, it's not bad. It's, it does what it does well, just the, fine. You said it like it treats the character fair, which yeah. is... Yeah, weird because the, we're supposed to be laughing at a character with a name like Paul. Blunt. That's it's in the title yeah. that he's a Paul joke, Blunt, but actually, Paul Cop, but yeah. actually in the first movie he has dignity, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of like that movie. Again, not a great movie, but it's a perfectly good little comedy. Um, then you have something like I think Ghostbusters, which I think gets it like just half and half. Like it knows that like yeah, whenever take we're the horror part seriously, yeah. but these characters are comedic. Yeah, so it's just as funny as it is scary. You've got both, mm. and then you've got I don't know. I'm trying to think of like something like. Uh, like Commando, which is like 85% action movie, but all the lines of dialogue are ludicrous. Yeah. So... I don't think that they were really going for comedy. Perhaps not. I couldn't think of a better example off the top of my head. I couldn't think of a better example or a movie that's mostly action, but it's kind of fun. Uh, um, I don't know. The Mummy. The oh, Brendan yeah, Fraser yeah. Mummy. That's not 85, but it's like 75. Like, it's well, mostly, mostly adventure thriller. Adventure, but the characters are also flipping funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can appreciate it mostly as an action adventure, but it's also funny. You wouldn't call it a comedy first. Mm-hmm. You would call it an action movie first. Um, we were watching, uh, my partner and I, we were watching, just, just because nostalgia got a hold of us, we wanted to watch something old. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we were watching Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> All right. Kindergarten Cop, if, if you haven't seen it or you've never seen it in a long time, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a cop who is uh, hunting for a woman who can help put a crime boss mm. away. Uh, Penel- but she's Penelope Ann Miller. If Penelope Ann, yeah. well, that's the twist, but yes. Right. They, you're not supposed to know who it is, but it's pretty obvious because it's the only mm. major star in the movie. Actually, that's not true. They hide it. They hide it because Kathy Moriarty is one of the moms in, in the movie, too. Um, <laughs> it's never Kathy Moriarty. I know, but it would have been fun if it was. Anyway, uh Kathy Moriarty, the first Jennifer Coolidge. No, that's not true. <laughs> Mae West was the first Jennifer Coolidge. That's about to say. Uh, but uh, uh, in any case, he has to go undercover as a kindergarten teacher because one of the kids in the kindergarten class uh, has a is being raised by a single mother, and that mother is on the run from this guy because he sees his wife. Mm. He has to figure out which kid it is and then protect them from the bad guy. <coughs> Excuse me. All the action movie stuff in Kindergarten Cop is taken dead seriously. Okay. Like, it's actually, yeah. like, an action movie. Like, when you... The opening sequence where, like, a guy gets killed in a mall and, like, oh, Schwarzenegger, like, arrest them and he has it's, to go yeah, to, like, it, a... It's a straight cop. Straight if, cop movie. If yeah. the title card in the movie wasn't written in crayon, you would not know it's not an action movie. Mm. But whenever it's funny, it's genuinely funny. It's it's actually... There, there's some homophobic jokes in it and that's unfortunate, but for the most part, it holds up pretty good. Um... I think Shotgun Wedding would have been better served by taking the action more seriously. Okay. The characters can be silly, but it feels like the threat is minimalized. Yeah. Where the bad guys aren't terribly well characterized and they, they're not particularly willing to do anything terribly violent. Mm-hmm. And as a result, all of these comic relief hostages are kind of walking all over the bad guys and it just doesn't feel like the stakes are very high. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate. Because I feel like there's, if the balance had been a little stronger, this could have been really something, just just very professionally done, just like a mm. the, the, a really good example of what this script could be. But I'll say this: it, it grew on me. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Jennifer Lopez and Jennifer Coolidge are genuinely incredibly funny together. I kind of just want to see them in a buddy cop movie now, like just those two. Like should that be, would be great. Should be them getting married. Why not? 
They're, Honestly, they're, I'm fine with that. The, the two brides zip tied together, trying to, to Why escape not? an action movie scenario. I, please, but uh, in any case, yeah, it's not bad. It's not. It's 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 not a. It's not a like a, a yeah. Go see Shotgun Wedding. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Go see Shotgun. No, but if that sounds in any way appealing to you, you'll have a good time. All right, they, they did okay. You just, mm-hmm. I'm just, I can tell how like they, it could have been genuinely great. And that's a bit unfortunate that they didn't go that far. No. Anyway, uh, what do you want to talk about next? We got two uh, more movies. Do it. Do you want to talk about a Korean sci-fi action film or uh, a horror comedy on Shutter? Well, we just talked about uh, another comedy hybrid. So let's talk about the horror comedy. All right. Um, let me talk about Sorry About the Demon. Yeah. Uh, Sorry About the Demon is by a filmmaker named Emily Emily Hagens. I don't know her body of work. Okay. Um, and she is clearly paying homage to the movie House. The 1986 movie. Ah, the underrated house. It's a pretty good one. Yeah, everyone talks about the Japanese movie, and they should. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, the, uh, but uh, the the with the William Cat from Greatest American Hero, mm. genuinely funny movie. And the sequel, first sequel, is quite good too. Yeah, uh, three and four mixed bag. Yeah, but seriously, <clears throat> see the first two; they're delightful. Oh, what was the what's the title of the third one? Because the oh, it was like, like the video dead or not the video no no, no dead, it's not the video dead. Uh, that's also a fun movie. And I like that movie. Uh, no, it was it's um, something really generic like oh horror. Or something. Just the horror. I think it was like the horror house or something. Hold on, I'm going to look this up. What was House 3 called? Yeah, they they changed the title. It wasn't called House 3. So when House 4 came out, it was very confusing. The horror show. The horror show. Sometimes it's just called The Horror Show. Sometimes (laughs) it's called House 3, The Horror Show. Yeah. Uh, Brian James is in that one. Yeah. Uh, No, this one is uh, the opening scene of Sorry About the Demon is sort of a a boring suburban nuclear family. uh, And they're in their house. And their young daughter, who's like nine... Mm starts speaking in this deep voice and starts speaking Latin. She's all of a sudden possessed. Mm. And uh, by this being calling himself Diominus. I am Diominus. And they say, hey, wait a minute. We have a lot of equity in this home. And if we, we can't give you our daughter. So here's the deal. If we bring you somebody... You can possess them, right? And Diamonda says, "Sure." <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not unreasonable. <laughs> I'm just evil. We cut to this loser guy named Will, who uh, has more hobbies than jobs. He uh, answers questions about this really horrible toothpaste, like that. He does customer service. That's his job, and he does things like stay up late and bake, or <laughs> uh, you know, do do sculptures and explore art. And he's like in his late twenties, and it's not cute anymore. And his girlfriend dumps him. Mm. Comes home and says, you know, you, you don't you don't have any direction in your life. And I'm getting you know, good jobs. I have promotions. And you're just sort of like dicking around at home. And she dumps him. So he's looking for a new place real fast, real cheap. And wouldn't you know it, he moves into this house. It's uh, like, you want to move into this whole house? Oh, no, this is too big for me. I couldn't afford it. We'll give you a real good deal. <laughs> uh, okay, I guess I'll move in here. Of course, they're trying to get um, the demon to possess this guy. He's such a loser the demon doesn't want him. <laughs> no, this so, is not a twist that we find out later, but like they get told from the perspective of the guy getting the room. He gets there. We, we all know. From the beginning. Going, okay. Yeah. Cause there's so two we, ways to tell that story. Yeah. The, the, the twist is that this is what's going on. No, we, know, we know, from, we know okay. from the start. And, right. and so there's this big comedic sequence. It's like, Oh, well, can I check out the basement? Don't go in the basement. <laughs> Trust us. It's fine. You, you want the house, right? Don't go in that room. Sounds like Saturday the 14th. A little bit. Like it's, okay. it's, it's going for that kind of vibe. Like okay. that sort of very like, silly. More more comedy than horror. Uh, and, of course, as he stays there, he realizes that there is some sort of strange demonic force, and he starts arguing with it, and it starts manifesting itself. But it's just sort of tormenting him in this really sort of comedic way. 
uh, eventually gets his best friend involved. He uh, is set up on a blind date. As blind date gets involved, it turns out she's a medium. So they have to figure out how to deal with this demon. Uh, this film is is a, a quite delightful. Okay, it's it's really a hoot. I feel like they're uh, you're, you're talking about balancing between genres. This mm. is going to be too much horror. This is going to be too much comedy. Mm. This is very much comedy. This is like eighty percent comedy. And again, there's the, with you, some horror elements. It, it can work it. either way. You yeah. just have to make that choice, and yeah. you got to it's got to work for their film. Yeah. So yeah, when, whenever there's like something demonic or something violent, it's actually really kind of light and silly. A kid could watch this movie. Uh, that the demon is called a diominus. That is not truly scary. That mm. you know the, the scariest is somebody whips their head around and they have white contacts on. Ah. Like oh, it's you know, slightly startling. Mm. That's the level we're dealing with. Uh, and eventually it becomes a really kind of cute character piece. And I got a really kind of David Naughton vibe off of the, the main actor. Okay. Uh, if, if you know David Naughton from like um, uh, my, Mid- Midnight Madness and... Um, well, and also uh, uh, American Wealth in London. American Wealth in London. Like, uh, he's played by an actor named John Michael Simpson. And yeah, he's, he has that sort of nerdy, pathetic, sad sack comedy character down. And I feel like we don't see that kind of character in movies a lot. Um, it's a little too long. Hmm. It's about an hour 45. We don't need to spend that much time there. Near the end of the movie, they start getting into sort of the mechanics of what's going on with the demons and how there's various spirits around and various spirits are possessing different people and communicating different things. Uh, like it gets way too involved in the plot. Hmm. Uh, I don't care about that stuff. The, the The middle portion of this movie where uh, poor Will is being... T- this, we get just to get to see what kind of a pathetic guy he is, and he's so pathetic that he's not even welcome in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of stuff is really fun. Yeah. So there is a, a very delightful tone. Uh, I, I admire how corny the filmmaker is going for. I feel like... Um, uh, um, Emily Hagen's is has a lot of comedic potential. Like mm. she's got a really great comedy in her moving forward. Yeah. Well, what's interesting. And, uh, and is... I feel like she has a good, uh, sort of wicked sense of playing with comedy tropes with horror tropes. Yeah. Uh, Emily Hagen's, mm. uh, had directed three features by the time she was like 21. Like oh, she, yeah. she, she like got so, her started like in school, like, and she got like so a, a grant uh, from South by Southwest for like one of her early screenplays. So the, the, the kind of person that makes you feel really horrible about the things you've done in your life. Yeah, a little bit. Like, oh, God. I, yeah. By the time they were 21, they directed, like, Pathogen and My Sucky Teen Romance, and mm. I've done nothing. Um, yeah, she, she just turned 30. Yeah. So she's she's, she's made got a bunch a of feature the, films. Hopefully got a big, e, e, yeah. an even better career ahead of her. And good oh, for them. you know what? She, was, she also did a segment in VHS. I was just looking oh. her up. Okay, then. Yeah. Well, I guess it was a VHS TV series? Uh, tw- uh, 2018 uh, there a TV, TV series TV. of VHS that no one told um, me about a this? VHS miniseries there was what? it's called VHS video horror shorts what? released on snap what okay well we have to look at that for critically or for I cancel too soon at some point anyway um, all right. Well, okay. Well, it sounds really good. I'm glad. Uh, I'm, I'm glad someone saw it because I didn't and I feel yeah. bad. Oh, and in fact, it, mm. you talked about Siren. Um, it looks like. Oh wait, no. I was looking up VHS. Never mind. No, you're like a wrong movie. Yeah. I, I thought she had done Siren. No, 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 uh, no. no, no. David Bruckner did Siren. Uh, or at least in the original, I think. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, there yeah, we she, go. She's done a lot of shorts. She's done a lot of feature films, and yeah, she's got a really wonderful sense of humor. Um, yeah, I, I, I dug it. It's not groundbreaking mm. it's not earth shattering but it's delightful and there's something to be said for that mm. 
Uh, oh, sorry. I guess uh, Greg Bishop did uh, did Siren, but that's oh, okay, okay yeah. too. Um, anyway, uh, all right. Well, we got one more film. So uh-huh. tell me about uh, tell me about this other film. Uh, this is Jung E. Um, it is the twenty second century, and uh, they actually... wait. No, it's not. This is a work of fiction. Okay, you've rumbled it. Oh ah. no! You're... Movie not worth seeing. You found a you found a flaw. A fatal flaw. <laughs> oh. No, um, the, the the setup is so complicated. They have to like walk you through it twice in the oh first ten God. minutes. Of the well, movie. that's always a good sign. But so, um, the Earth has become uninhabitable, and people have moved into these sort of outward, um, uh, sort of colonies mm. out out in the solar system. Mm. And in the ensuing centuries, uh, war has broken out between separatists. So now there's sort of this constant space war between people who live in the colonies and people who live back on the planets. War. War never changes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's this republic that's attacking, attacking Earth. And mm. so there's this potential war. And there is... Uh, the Earth forces have, uh, like, about a generation previous had a really great victory that they're still sort of riding on to mm. keep the people involved in the war, saying, hey, we had this one victory once. And the reason they had this great victory was this one soldier, this one badass, and I forgot her name. Mm. Um, but uh, she she died sort of saving these, uh, these kids from okay. this brave mission. And ever since, they've been trying to create a really sophisticated... 100% accurate robot clone of her. Okay. So like an artificial brain that has all of her memories and skills. Got it. Uh, as a figurehead, if they can recreate this soldier, then they'll have sort of this new redoubled support yeah. of the war. The problem with mm. World War II is that not everyone was Sergeant York. Yeah, essentially yeah. they're trying to make Sergeant York. Yeah. And uh, yeah, mm. this a- AI robot soldier that they call mm. Jung Yi. Yeah. Well, surely and, nothing uh, can go wrong. Well, uh, no, because the project is being overseen by the dead woman's daughter. Oh, so surely nothing can go wrong. Now, now uh, an older woman, but mm. she's trying to recreate her mom. Yeah. And it's really difficult for her to keep on seeing her uh, mother. And they, of course, have to create these robots, put in her mom's artificial brain, mm. and send it into essentially a holodeck where it's being tested on this impossible mission that she failed in. The, mm. They have to get, give her the same mission she died in to see she, if she can survive it this time. Mm. There's a lot of cool robot action stuff. There's Ooh. like robot wolves running around. Ooh. A lot of really slick, cool special effects. Yeah. Uh, Run low on wolves. Make some robot wolves. It looks really cool. I feel like cool. when... We're used to really slick special effects when we go to the feature films. You look at something like Avatar. It's like top of the line stuff. Mm. But I feel like when we go to uh, Marvel pictures and mm-hmm. this has been publicized on widely, mm. the special effects are in such a rush in those movies. Yeah. They, they hire these huge teams to do things very, very quickly, which is why they're so expensive. And they're being changed, often changed yeah. dramatically at the last at the minute. Last minute. So, like, so yeah. they don't really feel that very polished. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes you can get this incredibly expensive movie with special effects that don't look that great because yeah. they were changed at the last minute. Yeah. In fact, sometimes you can tell the difference between the special effects between the preview and the final feature. They're changing yeah. them that quickly. And as such, they don't look great. Jung Yi has a lower budget, but they're clearly focused on the job at hand. Yeah, so they, the special they effects, had a vision. They knew yeah. what they wanted. Yeah. So the special effects, generally speaking, look better in a movie like this than they do in some Hollywood A productions. That's 
I, you know, you're and tempted that's, that's to call it like, ironic, but it's not actually. Well, this it's, makes it's sense. It's just a comment on the way modern special effects are being handled right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when a lower budget film has to focus on something, they're going to come out with something that looks a little bit more dynamic. Mm-hmm. When a big slick production, sure they're big and slick, but you can tell that things are really kind of rushed and busy. Well, when you're when you got that kind of when you got that kind of time and money to throw at a project, mm-hmm. you can essentially just do it all in post. Yeah, yeah. And um, while that might make you feel all warm and fuzzy because you've got this big buffer. Mm-hmm. It also means that you're not necessarily telling a story that you're like that you have envisioned, mm-hmm. and like is cohesive, and has you know a point. Yeah, kind of frustrating. So the visual effects are good. Is the movie good? Uh, it is. It, it has okay. a, a sort of that wonderful um, like dystopian to bring up Stuart Gordon again. Mm. That sort of like dystopian uh, vibe to it. Where uh, and of course there's big twists about sort of the state of the war, what they're going mm-hmm. to do with the robot, and. Eventually, it's going to be revealed that they need to dispose of the robot, and what is the the mm. the, the head scientist going to do about mm. you know how is she going to salvage her mom essentially? Yeah, well, the mm. trick, of course, is to get Deontford to, uh, to babysit. <laughs> this her is mom. not Chappie. <laughs> Why not? More movies should be Chappie. I admire the temerity of Chappie. Yeah, but Chappie's not a great movie. No. It's, I think if it had been more about Deontward, <laughs> yeah. then it would have been more interesting. I will say this. Can you name another movie in which Hugh Jackman spends the entire film wearing little shorts? No, I can't. Chappie's four stars. Yeah. Hugh Jackman, short shorts. Yeah. Uh, shorts. Short Circuit meets Robocop in South Africa. Mm. And it's really about the real life pop group Deontward yeah. befriending a robot. Yeah, that, that that's a weird fucking movie, is what it is. I interviewed uh, Sigourney Weaver for that movie, uh-huh. and <laughs> right, Sigourney Weaver's in it too. Yeah, Sigourney she plays like the 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 person in charge of the company that makes Chappie, mm-hmm. and I told her I was like, listen, I loved you in Working Girl, mm-hmm. and here's my theory: after you were ousted at the at, from your business at the end of Working Girl, you found a job at this robotics company. <laughs> takes place in the working the, girl verse the timing works out <laughs> she thought that was great so as far as i'm concerned that's canon chappie is working girl too. working girl too yeah you know what yeah why not why not Ch- Ch- chappie's a bonkers flick not? be anything it wants to be there you go so but uh, but uh but good movie so good movie yeah good movie good, good movie uh, it's yeah uh, sort of a more of a, a saturday matinee vibe than really okay. questioning you know the, the nature of consciousness that, that yeah. kind of stuff but you know Fun science fiction story. Uh, it starts out really kind of action heavy, and there's mm. a lot of fun action sequences in it. Yeah. There's a lot of good robot effects in it. Um, eventually, you know, it has that kind of boring action climax where everybody is sort of, instead of like just walking out of the building, they have to fight their way out of the building, and that's a little bit tiresome. But uh, uh, in the middle, there are some like interesting sci-fi scenes about trying to figure out what the brain is going on and actually revealing who uh, this person was and how they're trying to connect with this artificial intelligence that might have more of the mother's personality than mm. they really think. Fun. Uh, yeah. G- good, good. Uh, yeah. Sort of B movie uh, premise mm. put in uh, sort of the shell of some pretty uh, slick a movie special effects. Nice. Um, it's on Netflix. It's one of those Netflix movies that looks too big to be uh, like direct to streaming. Yeah. But, but for a twist, this could have been released theatrically. It's also in Korean, so maybe that... I know not being in English can sometimes put distributors off, which is complete bullshit, if you ask me. But um, yeah, but yeah I, I really liked Junkie. Great. Okay, well, uh, that is it for our reviews uh, this week. 
Uh, let's do our review roundup, where we review films on a scale of C- minus to C+. The best rating a movie can get from us is a C+. That's above average. We genuinely recommend that movie. Hmm. Uh, Middle-of-the-road movies, that's a C. Those are average, some good, some bad, mixed bag. And below average is a C-. minus. We don't recommend them. We think they're below average. Uh, on that note, uh, Jung-E. Uh, Jung-E, I'm, I'm going to give it a C+. Plus. Nice. I think, uh, yeah, if you're into you know, science fiction and action pictures, this one's totally worth your time. Awesome. Uh, sorry about the demon. Uh, I'm going to give it a C. Mm. Uh, it's it's not high hilarity, but like I said, it's delightful. All right. Uh, shotgun Wedding, I'm giving it, this is kind of the textbook definition of a C. Yeah, sort of right up the middle. Yeah, well, because they're, they're, it, it's really funny in fits and starts, and it's never like a hard watch. But it's also yes, Luca. Luca, did you want to? You watched Shotgun Wedding with me. What did you think? Did it not have any L- snacks in it? L- Luca the cat has a, a an adorable habit of like tapping William on the shoulder. Yeah. While we're recording, he just like reaches up as well as like, hey, hey, remember Luca? And I'm like, yes, buddy, I remember Luca very well. Do you need anything? More snacks, please. Yes, okay, I'll get you more snacks. Um, Anyway, where was I? Uh, Shotgun Wedding. It's it, when it's funny, it's very, very funny. When it's not funny, it's not very funny. But it's never hard to watch. Uh, yeah. And honestly, just watch it for Jennifer Connelly and Jennifer Coolidge. They're both really great in it. Yeah. I uh, just it just never quite is as good as it could be, which is unfortunate. Mm. Um. All right. Uh. The uh, kids versus aliens. Uh, I mean, I, there's there's a how lot. harsh do you want to be? The, I, I I'm gonna give it a C minus, but it's not a passionate C minus. Okay. I, I feel like it, there's. It's kind of caustic. It's a little difficult to watch, and there's not a lot there. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not a wash. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's there's there's some interesting visuals. There's some interesting yeah. gore. If you, if you're into that kind of kid horror flick, you're probably gonna seek it out. Mm-hmm. But I was largely unimpressed. Got it. Close. Uh, C plus. Okay. I really liked Close. Uh, I, I liked what it was trying to say, uh, e- even if it was a pretty broad and sentimental and uh, you know, manipulative at times. I, I didn't mind because I think it actually is has something on its mind. Fair enough. Uh, and uh, last but not least, Infinity Pool. Uh, so that's a C-. minus. Oh, I guess uh, it is the least. It is the least. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... We listed all of the reasons. It's not extreme enough. It doesn't have interesting enough ideas. It hopes to distract me with extremity, but it's not doing it because the extremity isn't extreme enough. No, uh, it gives itself a, kind of a blank check to do anything, and mm-hmm. it does as little as possible with it. Mm-hmm. Um, genuinely a frustrating movie. Yeah. Uh, but more than anything else, I was just bored. Mm-hmm. Like, you have, you have <laughs> so much extremity and in service of a boring okay. message and boring and, characters. And an inter- yeah, such an interesting sci-fi concept, you yeah. know? Yeah, it's just... Mm-hmm. What a bummer. Anyway, next time on Critically Acclaimed, we're going to be reviewing some new movies. We're going to be reviewing M. Night Shyamalan's new film, Knock at the Cabin. We're going to be reviewing the animated Terry Pratchett adaptation, The Amazing Maurice. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to see 80 for Brady, but maybe. (laughs) Maybe you'll see 80 for Brady. 80 for Brady, maybe. Uh, But uh, there's a lot coming out, so we'll review as much as we can, and then we'll we'll talk about it on this podcast, because that's Mm -hmm. what we do. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Feel free to... Yes, Luca, I'll give you some snacks. Give me a minute. There will be snacks, I promise. He knows at the end of the podcast I usually give him some treats. Because yeah, so I had to ignore him for an hour or two. All right. Just, he just can, one, he just, can tell we're wrapping give, up, Give me I guess. 90 seconds, okay? All right. Feel free to email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Do you want to talk about anything we discussed in this uh, episode? Do you disagree with us about a movie? Do you have questions you want us to answer? Anything at all. We're open books. 
Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter to uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Uh, we are on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William DeBiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. I'm also on Hive. Ah! I'm still using it. <laughs> Someone is. Uh, we all... I, I prefer it to Twitter. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone at Hive. Uh, also, we don't forget, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash network, where you can listen to this and all of our other new podcasts ad-free, and we also have a ton of other exclusive shows uh, about a wide variety of topics uh, to enjoy, and you can vote for future episodes of things. It's a whole lot of fun. Thank you to all of our patrons, without whom our show would not be possible. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's about that. Never forget, everyone's a critic. I'm sorry, what?